0: Welcome to Off The Pulpit, to our seventh episode. I'm Eugene. I'm Jason. I'm Thomas. Uh, we're three pastors and three friends, just talking about life, culture, and church off the pulpit. Uh, thank you again for listening. Uh, if you haven't yet, we have an Instagram and Facebook account we'd love for you just to follow, just to keep updating all our stuff. And if you could like, comment, share, and subscribe to all of our outlets, too, that would be great. But today, uh, coming off of a, a really heavy episode on the election and an interview, A little more lighthearted topic. Um, We kind of want to just have an episode of just... A lot of questions that we usually get is like, what do pastors do? Um, And try and answer that in this episode. And also, but share some stuff that we as pastors uh, wanted to let our congregations know as well. So again, this will be a little more freestyle episode. But I think just to start off for you guys, um, if you could tell your congregation like one thing or a couple things about ministry that you think they don't know... Uh, what do you feel like those things would be at your churches or or to your congregations? We work Monday to Saturdays. <laughs> <laughs> it's not just Sundays. Very true. But hey, expound on that because people are like, "Oh, you you guys don't like sermon prep all the time or, or read the Bible all the time." So what are you doing then?
1: I mean, that's well, that's one thing. We definitely don't freestyle on Sundays, so that takes time. Uh, we that's have true. to. There's a lot. Of, what, what's the average hours that pastors
0: probably put into a sermon? Twenty? Here? Twenty hours? Yeah,
1: 20, twenty thirty. Um, so does that. But there's also staff meetings. Uh, there's also uh, visitations, I'm not sure if you guys do that, but meeting with people. There's also um, meeting with uh, ministry leaders separately about how ministries are going. And then there's kind of those, it's kind of also depending on the season. So if you're starting a new campaign or if something new is happening, or if you're finding a building, just kind of these different seasonal things happen where your weeks are taken up by just meetings and planning so
2: pastors wear a lot of hats a lot of different hats you know I think um you know obviously there are certain things that are fixed like you said you know you know that there's a sermon you have to preach week Mm -hmm. to week there are meetings that you have to have um you know premarital counseling sessions you know there are things that are kind of fixed in your schedule and then there are things that can happen at any moment that can literally hijack the entire week, you know, Mm. COVID, um, you know, (laughs) something crazy in the news, uh, you know, the election, um, someone in your congregation, you know, like I think, um, a family member becoming ill or, um, a death, you know, these kinds of things, they immediately obviously, um, take priority. And so, you know, sometimes that can be your entire week right there, just, um caring for a family caring for a member and so you're kind of moving seamlessly um between being like a counselor a preacher teacher a manager a coach you know entrepreneur um on top of kind of your duties as a father or husband um at least for us here and and i would say you know um you know, not to. Uh, I don't want to over spiritualize this, but I would say, especially in ministry, being a good father and husband is also integrally tied to, I think, the integrity of what what you do. Um, hmm. I think there's there's an, there's a different kind of. Um, I don't want to say expectation, but I think it, You know, um, it's it's part of it as well. Um, you're supposed to be the best dad at your church and the best husband (laughs) exactly exactly like the worst part of covid has been having to listen to myself preach while sitting next to my wife (laughs) because the whole sermon she's looking at me like you believe that wow (laughs) i didn't know that um Man, it'd be nice if you uh, practiced that once in a while. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> Dang. She's brutal, man.
0: <laughs> I wish people knew, too, like, because I kind of going off of Jason, like, for most pastors, I think this is true. Like, all those things don't stop in your mind. Like, it's always running, I feel. Cause, I, And I don't want to make light of, like, people that work, you know, in different vocations and not that it's a lesser job. But, you know, from the people that I talk to, at least in the Bay Area when they code especially, Like, it's something that you can leave once you are, you know, kind of away from work or that time. But I think for a lot of us in ministry, like, your mind is always running about something, about, like, the next sermon, about a counseling session, about something that happened. And I think that's one of the biggest tolls that, like, you just can't shut it off. And it's just, even, you know, at family time, it's just running, running, running about what you got to do. You got to check your messenger. Like, I feel like even a lot of my ministry is done on, like, Facebook Messenger Mm -hmm. more than anything, you know, like talking to people that have things flare up, especially in COVID. And it's just it's just nonstop at times mentally, more than just the physical hours
2: too. And, and it's one of those things where you actually feel bad when you turn off, you know, Yeah. because you feel like you're not allowed to. I wish pastors would have
0: HR at their churches. But Dude, we,
2: that's a thing, man.
0: Yeah, but we don't. <laughs> or at least, sorry, for a lot of us in our circles, we don't, mm. which is, uh, it's difficult. And yeah, I don't want to make it a gripe session, but like, there's no one advocating for the pastor a lot of times at these churches. It's just expectations being piled on, and I think it's especially different for leads, which
2: Tom and Jason are too. I remember one of my good friends told me before I stepped into this role, um, they were you know they were saying, "I'm just letting you know, you have to advocate, you know, you have to protect your time with your family um, because." nobody in your church will ever stop you from sacrificing your family at the altar of ministry. That's true. Um, Cause there's always going to be um, people that need to be cared for. There's always going to be things that need to be done. Um, and you're in some ways you're going to be affirmed and praised for taking care of all those things, you know? Um, and so if you don't kind of set those boundaries and, 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 you know, make sure you're taking care of yourself, your family. Um, no one is going to do, do that for you. Yeah. Remember and that so. one conference, Eugene, where the, the pastor
1: opened saying like, hey, like I had, a, I had an affair with my mother because <laughs> <laughs> she, res- she respected me so much more than my wife did. She loved me so much more than my wife did. Okay. And her name was ministry. Everyone's like, oh. And all the next speaker is like, dude, I slept with that girl too, man. Oh, man. It happens.
2: I mean, going off on what Eugene also said about kind of your mind never stops running. I think what a lot of people don't realize is what they see, like, you know, which is the sermon or a ministry initiative or some new, thing we're rolling out you know i think um what a lot of people don't realize is there were you know so many hours that went into um thinking about that you know like the the messaging you know one instagram post how you message something especially in the day and age that we live in where one thing you could you say can get you canceled you know pastors are like sweating you know thinking about like every word uh that they say you know how this represents the church you know is this theologically (laughs) yeah (laughs) most um you know is this theologically sound you know uh, there's just so much that goes into um the the planning uh, you know and i think what the congregation often sees is just the final product
0: you know and I, so I'm, I'm, I'm going to say something, but I want to hear guys' opinions too. I think it kind of bleeds into even like our French, like even just hanging out with church people, like, you know, it, it's different, especially when you step into the pastoral ministry, like when you're at those functions, when you're at, I don't know, a dinner or, you know, um, a hangout or just even like, you know, I don't know, just catching dinner with someone. It's, you have to be so careful with what you say, who they are and, like even friendships as a pastor is so interesting with your church members that like a lot of them, you know, it's it, on both ends, it's, it's awkward at times, which there's nowhere for us to kind of what I think Jason mentioned. There's nowhere for us to like find advocates and also find rest in our church community because like the people that we can go to to like find rest that other church members might have, like for us, a lot of them have a perceived view. And I think as elders and pastors, we need to keep that you know, above reproach and, and be very careful on what we do and what we say, but it can tax you because you don't really have a place to go. And I guess a question that just popped into my mind is how should church members approach and interact with pastors? Like what's advice you would give them if that makes sense?
2: Well, I guess for me, I have the benefit of, um, having been a part of the, this community, um, Like, not as the lead pastor for, you know, close to seven years. And so, um, I would say Carol and I um, are really blessed that we we have people in the congregation that, you know, don't only relate to us as their lead pastor, you know. And we have people that we feel like we really do have that safe space to be ourselves, who 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 don't treat us um, any differently because of um, you know the role that I'm in, um, but for sure um, it's a th- it's all it's always a thought that's there now you know. Um, so it, it's possible,
1: I think, to have friends as a lead pastor or maybe just as a pastor in general. Do you think it's wise? Because mm. I hear different things. Like I hear you know, hey, you you know, uh, if you become friends. With the congregation, then they're gonna see your role differently, or you know what I mean. And that kind of goes against the grain of how I feel. But I'm kind of the same situation as you, where I'm part of the community. But is it possible to have both, where you're still the lead pastor and you're also like friends with people?
2: I want to say yes, but you know, this is me. You know, being an optimist. Mm. Um, This is me one year in, um, but but I want to say yes and. You know, I was always told, hey, like in this role, just get ready, you're gonna need friends outside of the church cause mm-hmm. you're not gonna be able to have friends inside the church. And I just, I don't wanna believe that to be true. And I actually don't, I don't, I'm not even sure that that's, that's actually wise. Because in some ways, right, if as pastors, our goal is to cultivate a community marked by vulnerability, um, you know, we're 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 actually trying to move our our congregation to be such that we can, um, that in all the different spaces in our church, people are fully known, fully loved, and I think, you know, we have to be willing to take that risk as well. I think, hey, we might end up getting hurt in the long run, and it might end up at times being the wrong decision. But I almost feel like. We can't actually cultivate those kinds of communities unless we're willing to enter into that ourselves. You know? 100% agree. I think it's
1: very unhealthy if the only friends we have is outside of our church and they're like our high school friends or other pastors because they don't know what you're going through. Mm-hmm. They don't share life with you. Like, you see, we see our friends what, maybe once every two, three months from like back in college or so forth, that your church sees you every week. They know when you're having a bad week, they could see your emotional disposition. They probably catch you fighting with your spouse more than your other friends are. You're more reporting to your friends or telling a story about how things are with you in your church. But the people in your church, they see you. And so I almost feel like you need, it's nice to have friends outside of church, but you need friends inside a church. At the same time, you could be, you can't be friends with everybody But you probably need to be friends with somebody in the church. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I think that's just like super important. And I do think it's, you know, you shouldn't necessarily, you should understand that it's not the same with different people. They're going to view you differently in the pastorate role. But at the same time, it's a blessing when you can actually have a couple of people who are very safe and you could call genuine
0: friends. I find that, and I think, I don't know, I want your guys' opinions too. I find that church members that actually want to have a genuine friendship to be one of the biggest blessings as a pastor at a church. Because, mm. like, I, not, you know, I won't name names, but there's people that, um, and, and rightfully so, that come to you when they need something. Counseling, leadership, um, you know, gripes about their ministry or whatever, which that's part of our job. But i found members that just come, you know, and they'll share life, like kind of Tom mentioned, but without an agenda to be one of the biggest blessings um, at a church. Given that, and and maybe even pre-COVID or post-COVID preaching, what are some things you wish your congregation knew about preaching, about you preparing, about when you preach, about how they act while you preach? It's like a meal. That's the best analogy.
1: Mm. Preaching is like a meal. And, you know, sometimes if you preach the same sermon, like at a different church or campus ministry, you're reheating an old dinner. And it's good. It's still good. But they don't know, you know, they don't know what that you cooked it before but every Sunday you're cooking a new meal for the church to to take and uh, sometimes you know obviously it's, it's encouragement when they get fed and you get sense that it's a satisfying meal and sometimes it's discouraging when they don't eat it or <laughs> they spit it out you know it's, it's that's like a nice analogy it's, it's a nice meal and even for us like how much you put into it it's kind of like you could there's a lot of I hear with cooking a lot of it's like love and care for the ingredients and passion mm-hmm. for what you do. So uh, that's what we do, in my opinion, every week with preaching. Is we are preparing a nice spiritual meal for the church.
0: Yeah.
2: The thing is, it's in in some ways, at least at our churches, it's it's the same meal that we have to kind of re. You know, we have to kind of repackage every week because we, you know, we believe in preaching the gospel every Sunday. And you know, I think in some ways it's telling the same story, um, but I think uh, you know, using obviously different texts, um, but ultimately telling the same story, and and still allowing that story to speak um, effectively and and clearly to the congregation. It's, it's like using it's the easy. same,
0: it's, yeah. It's like using the same ingredients, but you have to make a different meal every week, almost, right?
2: <laughs> yeah,
0: it's like Master yeah. Chef.
2: Yeah, I you know, I think there's like, you know, on one hand, um and and I'm still I'm still uh learning this because I think week to week preaching is definitely a different muscle that, you know So um, different than to, like
1: all that than retreat preaching and conference preaching and once
2: in a while preaching, right? Yeah, you're just trying to get on base when you're you know when you're week to week preaching. Um unless you're like a keller and you can hit like multiple homes. <laughs> <runs. Ruth>, baby <laughs> <laughs> um <laughs> But, but yeah, you know, and I, and I think like on one hand, there's, uh, there's an extremely technical aspect to it. You know, you're, you're, you're trying to kind of understand and unpack, you know, this text that was written thousands of years ago. You're trying to be faithful to the, you know, author's original intent, you know, and like Eugene just said, it's kind of like writing a thesis every week. Um, But then I also feel like it's not just technical, it's extremely creative, right? Because you have to now take this text and figure out how to articulate it in a way that's like accessible to a modern audience. You know, you're considering kind of the diversity within your congregation, understanding that you have college students, singles, married couples, married with families, people with very differing, you know, life experiences all listening to this. Um, you're figuring out, is this you're asking yourself, is can this be understood by a non-believer? You know, um, all these questions. So in, in that sense, you know, having kind of more of a musician background, uh, for me, it's almost like writing a song every week. Mm. Um, and it's, you know you're you're telling a story and you're kind of taking your congregation on a journey. You know, and you're, you know, and you want them to connect with something not just cerebrally, but extremely like emotionally and viscerally as well. I I would say the hardest part about week to week preaching, it's like you write this song or you write this thesis. You have to be so present and fully like in the zone and invested um, in it when you're preaching it. And then literally Monday morning, you're on to the next one reset you know you whether or not you bombed it or you killed it it's you move on to the next one
0: hey, do, you know? do preachers know when they bombed this question i get a lot
1: i know <laughs> 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 but it was yeah, when, you it, know but i think when you think you bombed there have been instances where you mm-hmm. realize oh god did something with that because you know people come up to you and say i was so blessed and you're like really Like, oh, that's, that's surprising. But I think, you know, when it didn't land as well as you wanted it to land, but you don't know what God's going to do with it. So that's like the interesting part about that. A hundred
2: percent, a hundred percent. And, and I also think that we probably have different standards for ourselves. Mm. You know, there are definitely times when like, you know, it's like both encouraging and discouraging at the same time. You know, it's like, like it reminds me of a time uh, not related to preaching, but like, um, I was leading worship one week and my, like my pedal board and my amp, everything went down like five minutes before the service started. And we were screwed and I had, I happened to have like a a quarter inch to eighth inch adapter and I literally plugged my guitar into my iPhone (sighs) and pulled up a random like guitar app and played the entire service through that app, and after the service, people were coming up to me being like, "Dude, that was like the best tone I've heard in a long time." It was very discouraging because I put like thousands of dollars into my gear, and for them to say that, you're like, "Wow, you know, you don't need do that, well, Jason. He just- I know, what's the point of do- What's the point of doing anything? You know, and so I like there, you know, I think there have been times for sure. When like I felt like, uh, man, I, I didn't really communicate it the way something I wanted to communicate. Mm. Um, and maybe maybe this is God's grace, um, because there have been times when I truly felt like I bombed bombed it in every way possible. Yeah. But you know, there have been people who've who've been encouraged, and so those are moments when you realize um, it's really not about you. It's like that the that,
1: that analogy I heard where it's up to you for the sermon to be. Uh, good, but it's up the spirit the spirit for the sermon to be great. You mm-hmm. can't make the sermon great, but it's up to you to make it good, depending on how much work and time and prayer you put into it. But the spirit is what makes a sermon from good to great, and I find that to be pretty true.
0: Yeah, mm-hmm. and on that note, I think our church members shouldn't expect a home run sermon every dude.
1: Week because cause, that, right? and I think we think that sometimes because we're so conferency and we listen to like mm-hmm. you know sermons online and all that. That's like Dave Chappelle's Netflix special. You know, and the Netflix special that he does, that's the fruit of everyday comedy homes, houses that he does stand-up. And he's trying out different things. And the HBO special, the Netflix special, that is the culmination of this message or this joke, this routine that he crafted together. And that's actually what we hear like in the conferences. Like you, you hear like these special messages that are put together that are just crafted for so long. But week to week, those are like the the comedy houses. Those are like where you're kind of sharing, preaching God's word. There's gonna be fumbling at times, but that's kind of the weekly thing that's there. And I actually think there's something nice about that. There's a yeah, not right? it's not pristine, but there's something very pastorally about that where you're gonna hear sometimes the same illustrations or the same jokes or similar insights. But after like 20, 40 years of that, I think that's
0: actually pretty cool. Hmm. I think that's, that's a really good way to put it. I think just preaching is it's um, it's hard. It's really rewarding. I think it's a great thing for pastors. But I hope people just know the amount of work that goes into it. You know, one thing like people always say is like, "Oh man, that sermon didn't hit me," particularly. But I wish people would know like when we are crafting a sermon, especially for the Sunday for, Sunday service pulpit for like an actual service. There's so many people we're talking to, and some texts like kind of ignite a certain group or certain person in mind, and. Mm-hmm. And I think people don't realize that sometimes that like, yeah, we're, it's not, you know, we care about you as an individual, but we're thinking for the body when we're preaching to you. And there's seasons, like Ecclesiastes talks about, and there's certain seasons where we want to emphasize certain things to certain people and other things for certain peoples too.
1: But I think the meal analogy is nice because I don't remember every meal I've eaten but Yeah, I was fed. And I think as so long as we're preaching faithfully from God's word, they're being fed. Of course, there's those special meals you go, man, that one dinner was amazing. And you just yeah. remember that. Um, but those are rare. It's usually, are you getting fed? Are you growing? Are you healthy? And I think that's a sign of faithful preaching.
0: Hmm. So I, the, the internet killed pastors because everyone's listening to Piper and Keller. <laughs> and they think we're going to do that every week. But sorry, we, we're not unicorns like them. Um, but yeah, given that too, so some of the kind of more like a off topic and I don't know where these questions will go, but there's a lot of pastors that we, you know, if you're listening to this, you probably went through, at least a half a dozen of pastors in your lifetime, your youth pastor, a college pastor, maybe a couple of lead pastors too. Um, and for us in our circles, which is mainly the Asian American circles, and especially in the West Coast, what are the different um, types and tribes of pastors that you see in, in our circles right now? So like, for example, like there's a hipster pastor, there's like the faithful, you know, Bible pastor. But for you guys, like what are the, the types of pastors you guys kind of see in our circles right now? Ooh.
1: Well, there's clearly the EM pastor, right? The EM pastor who's the English ministry pastor that cares for the congregation and they'll go broomballing with them late at <laughs> night and very relational uh, preaching. They don't mind the person sleeping because it's very relational. So there's the EM type of pastor that's there. There is the Bible preaching pastor, Bible mm. churches where it's verse by verse and kind of masters, MacArthur and and so forth, which there's that kind of tribe that's there then you have the the gospel-centric preachers kind of acolytes of tgc and keller and they make sure no matter how non-sequitur it is but jesus christ died for your sins remember that and there's kind of making sure there's a faithfulness that's there as well Um, and then you have your um charismatic pastors like they're just they're the the sermons that go on for like an hour and a half or so. And it's really filled with illustrations and passion and so forth. Those are probably the main tribes I encounter. And then you have your super reform guys that are there as well. But I think those are probably the main tribes I've seen.
2: Yeah. I guess I, I would more see it almost like, um, yeah, I definitely see kind of like the relational pastors, you know, maybe pastors of smaller churches, they know all their congregation members. Um, you know just very involved in the day to day um i think on the opposite side you kind of have you know uh more ceo like pastors hmm. maybe um kind of you know church as kind of a mega institution um where things you know where they they're more like there as like a visionary they're they're a visionary—they're not really connected. They're, it's almost like a conference speaker every week. They're not maybe super connected in the day-to-day of their congregation members. Partly it's because they have so many, yeah. Um, but they're more like kind of leading or running an organization, um, and so—and then I think you have everything in between. That
0: yeah. No, I think the tribes Jason and Tom mentioned really well. I think for me personally, growing up, and I don't know how true this will be or not but the pastors that I've grown up and even now as a pastor I've seen too that three types of I think the tribes Tom and Jason got correct but these are the types of pastors I see character wise hmm. there's like the really good teaching pastors there's like the homie pastor and there's like the leadership so I will like, follow you to the death pastor so it's like prophet priest king yeah 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 kind of i guess more in like layman's term which i I think that that if you don't know prophet king uh priest it's like um a paradigm for leadership in the church which i find it to be true you got like people that are really just chill like i just in my mind like guy. yeah like the homie guy that like Mm -hmm. yeah like it's really easy to hang out with him but like when he preaches it's like now he's a homie so i'll listen to it you know like i always find the good teachers and this is very general when you actually like talk to them face to face, it gets really awkward. So weird. Yeah. Not all of them, but sometimes they're reading too many books and like, Mm -hmm. they're not in tune with like what's going on. And I, it's interesting. I won't name names, but even like big time pastors that I've heard of, of people at their churches, like they, they, they say that they confess. Like, yeah, when I talk to this lead guy, who. preaches like this crazy culturally changing sermon like he can't hold a conversation face to face which is like that's interesting mm. and there's like just the oh captain my captain type of pastor where it's like I don't know how if he preaches well I don't know if he is a homie but like I will follow him to the death because he's a good leader he's like a alpha like you know rah 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 guy um, and I've seen those type of and if you don't if your pastor doesn't fit those three like yeah maybe you're lucky where you have a unicorn or a blend um, but those are the kind of types of pastors that i see in my mind why do you think that happens
1: the the preacher who's like crazy loud and jokes a lot and super insightful and then you talk to them after the sermon and they're
2: like they're weird or they're different you know it's kind of like um you know it's interesting like act for example actors you know i've been told mm. that mm. there's a you know a, a large uh, like a disproportionate number of introverts um, mm-hmm. who are actors and you know when I talk to my friends who are actors they, a lot of them tell me that they were like the introverted you know awkward kid in high school and acting or the stage was kind of the, their permission to express you know, mm-hmm. and their, their, you know it was like their one opportunity to be themselves or you mm-hmm. know to just you know let loose yeah. and I think that's probably true in some ways as well You know, I think with, like, you know, when you are, when you um, get to teach week to week, it's kind of some, your your church giving you permission, um, you know, to to express and, you know.
0: I also think if you're teaching really well, that takes a lot of time. And that means, like, you can't even, like, have friend type of time. Like, Mm. the amount of books Keller reads, Tim Keller is, like, Oh, this guy, like, maybe I don't want to, like, you know, say something that's not true, but his friend must just be Kathy Keller, his wife. Because, like, he's just reading. And I think he said this, right? He like, I read to, like, reach people. And that's how he's, like, he's built. And he just doesn't have time to, like, interact with the people, which I see a lot of times. It's in, But then, you know, like, the people that are is really good at interacting with people, like, they don't have the time neither in good or bad ways to like invest in the the reading and teaching that's that's how i kind of see it and i don't think it's a bad thing cuz i think both kind of passages are needed in the church but i don't know tom i'd 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 love to hear why you think so
1: it's interesting that people are probably shaped by what they see as a good pastor depending on the gifts of their pastor like some people think like a good pastor is someone who preaches faithfully and insightfully and cuz their past, it's not because that's objectively what makes a good pastor that's like their pastor's gifting. They have the high prophetic gift. But then other other people, it's more like how much their pastor loves them. And it's because they have such a strong like shepherding gift. And so it's interesting how your pastor or the gifts that shine kind of shapes what pastoring looks like for you. And it defines what pastoring looks like for you. But it's actually pretty it's not as narrow as maybe what your local church is.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which okay, great segue. So for you guys, kind of going off of what Tom's point. Um, And this could be personal opinion or this could be back from scripture in your own ways. But what makes a good pastor in your eyes and what actually makes a bad pastor too in your own eyes?
1: I mean, I like the analogy of the shepherd a lot. Are you shepherding your people? And I think shepherding comes in different forms. Mm. Uh, You are shepherding your people when you're preaching. You're feeding them. You are shepherding people when you're organizing. Uh, You are shepherding your people when you interact with them. And I think, you know, sometimes we think of my pastor shepherding me, it depends on what church you're at. Sometimes you might think it's when he spends time with me or or so forth. But I do like the idea of the shepherd analogy a lot. And do you feel like you're being shepherded by your pastors, your elders, or so forth? And so to me, that's really what matters is, are you faithful as a shepherd in the church? And that's conversely, what's not good is if you're not faithfully shepherding, you're not caring for the sheep, you're not caring and tending the flock, that's when you know, the congregation, they're going to be suffering for that. So that's for me, like a very general way how I approach it. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I, I kind of agree with Tom too. And this probably is repeating it, but I think a good pastor as a shepherd, you just reach your people with however you're gifted. Maybe you're gifted in teaching. Maybe you're gifted in relational aspects. Maybe you're gifted in leadership, but I think a good pastor is someone that leaves a a deep impact with this church and with the way that he's gifted. And you know, I, I wish people kind of like Tom mentioned this, wouldn't think that a, a pastor or a good pastor is your favorite gifting. Cause I think even our church members have different ways they feel shepherded, if that makes sense too. Mm-hmm. And don't think that all because a pastor doesn't shepherd the way that you are maybe usually shepherded. That doesn't mean that they're a bad pastor. They're just gifted a little different. I find that bad pastors are the ones that, care more about the medium of what they're doing than the actual end effect of reaching the people, which we'll get into the specifics a little bit later. But yeah, Jason, what about you? What, what are your definitions of a good or bad pastor?
2: Um, uh, you know, I, I, I think kind of going off on your point, I, I definitely think a lot, there's a lot of self-awareness that comes into play here where um, I think pastors yeah, need to be aware of their gifts and limitations and strengths. And, um, op, you know, I think they need kind of a healthy sense of personal identity, kind of to operate well within those, co- operate confidently and, and effectively within those strengths and weaknesses. Yeah. Um, I, I would say in general, um, A good pastor is someone who is, whose goal is to move their community to become a different kind of people and not to build an impressive organization. Mm -hmm. And I think, um, especially in our day and age today, ministry has become about building something. Sure. You know, you have this vision, grand vision, and you're building, you know, you're building something, like, amazing, you know? and. Um, it's about kind of like leaving your mark and your legacy. And, um, you know, when I think about at least the pastors that have made lasting impacts on my own life, um, it's, it's been people who just can connect deeply with others in, in such a way that the very life of Christ is mediated, you know, to others and for others. Um, I would say it's, you know, Good pastors for me are pastors who have really um, exemplified like a ministry of presence, right? Just mm. um, you, you yeah. know what it is if you're just not weird and you
1: love <laughs> Jesus, like that's a good pastor. Like he's gonna be okay. Like just don't be weird and you love Jesus. Like you're gonna be fu- like he. If that's your pastor, he's probably gonna be all right because there's so many weird pastors out there. And there's a lot of pastors who really don't love Jesus. They just had nothing else to do with their lives but to go to seminary and get a respectable position and you know that's just kind of what it is. And if I meet someone like, hey, "You're a pastor and you're socially normal and you love Jesus," I'm like, "Dude, like you're you're a good guy, man. And any <laughs> church is blessed to have you because that's rare. It's not that's normal." And we I think when we're under like pastors who are kind of out there, you think that's just kind of the normal thing, but no, it's not normal. Like you're just a socially out there guy. And I actually, uh, my standards have lowered maybe, but that's kind of how I see it.
0: (laughs) But do you think there's a social awareness baseline that pastors need to reach?
1: Man, my standards got low. Like just don't be (laughs) creepy. Like know how to hold a conversation. Like just be, uh, just be okay. Like just just be normal, man. (laughs)
2: No, I'm telling you, in leadership in general, not even... Hey, yeah, seriously. Like if you're... This, I think, yeah, I think self-awareness, I really think that that is like the most important thing, uh, like most important quality that a person can possess. Um, like self-awareness and then and then self-regulation. I, I think it's like... <laughs> what's the difference? What's, what's That's a good one. <laughs> it, you know, it's like, it, it's not only being aware of yourself, but then kind of also understanding like based on that actually you're like regulating accordingly yeah right like let's say like you are you understand that you're the type of person that wants to dominate every conversation mm. and want you know and understanding that when you get into a space and you are a pastor they're gonna give you permission to dominate that conversation so maybe don't dominate that conversation going off of like
0: you know being weird and, and hey if posture, you're not weird and you're a Lord, right? god
1: will use you Exactly. I re- I re- and you're humble in the Lord, like, God, use you see, man.
0: So for listeners that are part of churches or maybe even looking for a church, like maybe going a step further than weird, how do you identify like wolves? Like in the gospel of Matthew, I think chapter seven is very clear. Like there are, there are pastors out there, quote unquote pastors that are out not to feed you, but to rip apart your soul for whatever reason, right? What are some identifying factors for our church members to see? Um, pastors that are ultimately wolves or abusive or just that they you shouldn't be at their church. Hey man, so I don't know about the wolf
1: picture, yeah. but to me, what I find to be a great litmus test of what type of pastor he is, don't ask the congregation members, don't ask his best buddy, talk to their staff. Because mm. to me, the staff, they experience and relate to the pastor in such an interesting and unique way that's radically different than everybody else, because everybody else has a, you know, when you're a congregation member, you're seeing a persona of who he is, and you know, it might be a true persona, might be a false persona, you just don't know, and they won't be there unless they actually like the pastor, usually. Uh, The elders, a lot of them, they are close with the pastors or they have his back, or maybe, you know, there might be issues, who knows, but you kind of don't know with the elders. But the staff, the pastor in a sense, doesn't really have to kiss their butt. They're his they're under him. And when someone's under you, you could kind of treat them however you want to treat them. And so I actually find it to be very interesting when I hear from staff members. I'm not saying every staff member is gonna be true because there mm-hmm. might be the staffer might just be a bad staff member and that's why they have like a weird relationship or they left. But that's actually really interesting to me is looking at the staff and
2: seeing how healthy is that relationship dynamic with the pastor, so. Took the words right out of my mouth. I was gonna say, actually, I think staff culture is a huge litmus test. Um, and, and, and to be honest, I think that at some point, aspects of that culture will always right. permeate and trickle down, well, yeah. you know? Or
1: it'd be weird if it didn't, right? If there's a radically different thing mm. from the staff culture that's and the like congregation a, that's like culture.
2: That's a bigger problem. Yeah, man. It doesn't, yeah. 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 No, exactly. No, I, I
0: completely agree too. I think that's one thing that if you're not in ministry, like I realize as pastors, we talk about that a lot, but a lot of our church members don't, which I think is good to think about. I also think one thing to see is, and specifically I think wolves are like pastors that are out to get the churches. Do they have friendships mm. outside of the church? genuine friendships it's easy as a lead pastor or any type of pastor to have friends at church because you have a status already with that church and kind of going off of tom's point it's kind of connected that the staff know who this guy is whoever the lead is i also think like the amount not an amount but the the amount of genuine friendships it doesn't need to be a lot but are there any genuine friendships outside the church with these pastors because oftentimes, what happens, I think, is if not like they don't have a sounding board, they don't have a a piece of like sane advice giving to them. Because the church might always tell you what you want to hear. Your leadership might always tell you what you want to hear. But friends. Even if you, I, I got friends that are like you're a pastor, they're gonna tell me exactly what they think on their mind. Right? They don't give a flying whatever that I'm I'm in the pastoral ministry, and I appreciate that because it keeps me grounded too. So I always, you know, I I think it's hard to like look it up, but like, yeah, do 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 your pastor or pastors have genuine friendships outside the church?
1: Keyword genuine, because just because yes. you know you post a picture with another pastor and you're hanging out at Coffee Bean, like they're not friends. Like they are, <laughs> like they're networking. They just met like a, two months ago, man, and they're you know, and we act like, oh, this is my my friend. It's like, come on, man, you've known him for like three months. You're trying to do something ministry wise. You want to get each other to guest speak at each other's churches. Come on, like, who are the the friends in your life? And oftentimes, it's like the long lasting friends, right? The ones who yeah. had that they knew since college, who knew them before they became a pastor, who's not afraid to say what's up to you if you are going off the rails. Those are, when I see people with friends like that, I'm like, dang, you're probably in a healthy spot because they're not going to let you get away with the the pastor card when you're
0: going crazy. Totally. And this is like, not even pastors, but just for people. Like, even for marriages, I know oftentimes how the marriage will be by looking at the groomsmen or the bridesmaids. Like, are they just there because they need to be there, or the actual genuine friendships. Man, friendships is
1: so important.
0: Yeah, like not even for the pastoral ministry, but for any aspect of life. Like they, they, they kind of anchor you in marriage, in family, in work, even in pastoral ministry. So like, I think you it's don't, so you don't important. need them to survive, but you like need them to thrive. You know? Yes, yes. Yeah. With that, and this might be a, a a hot topic question, but are all pastors friends with each other? Yeah.
2: Oh no way, no, wait,
0: man. <laughs> <laughs> So, so this is why I preface that because I think a lot of people listening might not know the 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 actual workings of church networks and churches as a whole. If that makes sense, that they I, it, it's pretty interesting. But I think a lot of people think like, oh yeah, like all churches are like one church and all pastors are just all friends. Like it's just you know they're gospel centered people, so that's just what they do. But what what's What's the most realistic yet edifying take to that question?
1: Well, at a positive level though, I will say like it's kinda of like the NBA. Like if someone's in the NBA, there's like kind of an understanding of like, oh, we're all in this together. So no matter no matter what, like Like brotherhood. Yeah, there's respect. Yeah. And so anyone yeah. who you meet who's a pastor, like, dude, respect, man. Like I don't know what your story is, but God called you to this unique position that's there that not many people understand. So there's always this sense of respect, camaraderie, and fellowship because of that.
2: Except it's not like the NBA it's kind of like war or something. <laughs> yeah, more like yeah, you you served in the military
1: and like and me too, yeah, you kind of. Not everyone. Yeah, passes. I mean I think in
2: a I think in a perfect world it would be what you said, you know, and I think that would be great. Um I think reality you know and it I, I I'm still new at, at this um you know in my role but yeah, I think a more a uh, more apt illustration would be like game of thrones you know Ooh, like i feel like whatever do you, you mean know? by that I what is this show that you speak of
1: <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah i've never seen it actually but you heard i know all the characters uh, <laughs> and the plot lines very well um but yeah you know I, th- I think a lot of frenemies there's a lot of inner you know i think there's um you know, I think there are alliances. Sometimes it's theological, um, cultural. Um, you know, I think. You know, I think there's inner competition happening. You know, I think Tom, you posted this. Like, um, I think it was like the first week of COVID. Oh yeah. COVID church, and it was like the perfect illustration. I think you said something like, "Like today, it, it, today's like, like when 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 you uh." when everyone's presenting their school project or something. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, man. And oh, because then, like, everything's virtual finally. And like everyone can virtual. see everything. That's true. Yeah. And you're looking at all your, you know, friends projects and you're like, crap, yeah. mine sucks. Yeah. You know? Um, I, I think that there is a lot of that, you know? And I, you know, I think it, it, it comes with, with the territory, especially because the world that we live in, yeah. you know, the, the metrics by which we gauge success is so so much of that is based on numbers, based on appearance, based on image, and so it's hard for that kind of thinking to not seep into the church. Yeah, where you you know you look at a pastor that is pastoring a church of like thousands, and you're like, man, like I want, you know why can't I be that person? Or you know uh, you know I think there there's just that that's natural.
0: I I wish. So, like, I, I think it's true. There's There are feuds, like, and I'm not, you know, it, it's just being real. It's like the NBA. Like, there are enemies. Like, Russell Westbrook and Rajon Rondo don't like each other. Although they probably respect each other, right? Westbrook but, or Chris Paul. Probably all three, nah, no? Yeah. They, they have they have major feuds. <laughs> but I wish people would also know the weight of, like, leading a, a organization that big with that much power in a broken world. It's just... It's so hard for lead pastors. And I think like, and this is coming from an associate, like an understudy pastor looking up at someone that planted a church at my church. It's like his baby. And I understand because like there's for lead pastors, especially the ones that planted a church, there's whether it's right or wrong. There's so much attached to that church's success to your own self. Because there's nothing kind of like that other than maybe starting a startup or becoming CEO of a company. That the metrics matter and because of that you compare and contrast and because of that you get envious and not that it's justifiable, but it's just the the nature and the the burdens of I guess being a pastor in the twenty first century.
2: I, I will say the one thing from going from being a worship director to being the lead pastor, the thing that changed the most for me was when I was a worship director, like it would only really hurt my feelings if someone made like a, you know, gave me criticism or you know gave me negative feedback about worship. Mm-hmm. If they gave us negative feedback about like any other ministry, like, in the this church ministry, it's just like church, you know, whatever. I'd be like, oh man, you know. But it wouldn't like it wouldn't mess with my sense of identity. Yeah. But in this role, it doesn't matter what it is. If even if someone said like I didn't like the font in the bulletins. <laughs> you all of a sudden take that as a slight on your leadership yeah. or, you know, it's just, yeah. you know, it. you're right. Like it is pastors, just like everyone else, really struggle with, you know, making ministry their identity. And we have to preach the gospel to ourselves regularly as well Very because true. it's so easy for any kind of criticism to be like a criticism on you, like the person, you know? So if you, when you criticize us,
1: we remember it forever. <laughs> <laughs> hey, but
0: Tom's not joking
2: <laughs> we, we do <laughs> yeah,
0: they really do like it sticks to your brain Forever. it's so crazy um, I don't know if this is too big of a, a U-turn to you, but you know talking to just about like the struggles and the burdens like recently there's been a lot of high profile celebrity pastors we can say that have fallen into like huge scandals whether it be sexual, whether it be abusive power, um, whether it be covering up some child abuse scandal too, like there's been a lot. Um, I think in the past year, there's too many to count. And like given that too, I think one interesting question that I have for you guys, especially as leads, is like why do you feel like so many, especially high profile pastors, fall into these scandals of whatever nature it may be?
1: I mean, there's there's a spiritual element, obviously, if, if Satan is real, which we all believe he is here, then he's going to attack what's going to hurt the church most. So there's that element that's there. There is the pressure where you become self destructive because no one really, you're kind of alone in that position and no one mm-hmm. really fully understands until they're also in that same bunker with you or in that same position. So there's that element as well. Um, but I actually think a lot of it has to do my big two biggest things that I think about when someone falls apart is one like what was the system in that church that allowed that to happen and it could have been a good system who knows but oftentimes maybe something was off with the system the accountability that was there and also just the personal relationships and friendships you often find people who fall apart no one really knew them no one really had permission To access what was really happening with their life. And again, this is the theme we're talking about, friendships. They didn't have genuine friendships. They had people, they had the Instagram posts, but did anyone really know them and were really their friends? It's kind of more rare, it seems like, than not, like a lot of people did not know who this person was. So those are the Mm -hmm. thoughts that come in my brain.
2: Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think um, to go off of Tom's, one of Tom's points, like I think there's a huge systemic issue right now with churches in general, like elevating and cultivating kind of high profile quote unquote celebrity pastors. And, and so in in some ways you, this is what, this is the, th- these are the kinds of people we are cultivating. You know um, I, I think it's actually wrong when like a church Cultivates that, and then acts completely non-complicit when those pastors that they elevated as celebrity pastors actually start acting like celebrities. Yeah. You know, you you can't like, you know, put fish in a certain kind of aquarium and then act surprised when they start swimming in that water. You know, yeah. it's like, um, and so I think there's there the the church itself. There, I think there needs to be an overhaul of just the way we think about church, mm. even the way we think about leaders. You know, it's 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 like um, when a pastor becomes that powerful, you know, and that famous, uh, it's is really difficult. I yeah. mean, because we, we are broken human beings, you know, for people to not put those expectations that they're going to be their savior on them, you know. And so... Um, that's kind of why like you know we'll we'll build them up, you know, and then when they when they don't meet our expectations or when they don't can't save us, which they won't, they'll always fail um you know it's always like how could this happen you know in the church, but you know we're we're all a part of that problem, i think what do you think eugene
0: no i i especially what Tom mentioned I think is key that friendships are so important, like even Ravi Zacharias, if you don't know, like there's a lot that happened after he passed away, which is really saddening, just talking about a lot of sexual scandals he went into. And one of, I remember Tom mentioned it too. Like the biggest thing from one of the articles was like he didn't have he felt really alone. He didn't have friends in his ministry, in his church. Yeah, I don't even know if he was at like a local church. Maybe he was, I could be wrong. But like it's so important. I think, you know, I'm not justifying any of these actions that any of these lead pastors take in scandals. But it always comes, I think, from a place of loneliness. Like no one, like King David, not he didn't like look at Bathsheba one day, like and just like, yeah, I'm I'm gonna do this. Like I, there there's steps and there's levels to it, and I think for a lot of us in the 21st century, it begins with loneliness of just like not having a healthy outlet uh, through friendship. And I would, I wish people at our churches would understand that. And I think some people at our churches see that, and their reaction is, I'm gonna question everything my lead pastor does. Because all these pastors are falling into the scandal, and I think you know I understand where that's coming from. Like you know, you should always in your members meeting understand what's going on with the budget, and 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 you know you should speak up when things are happening. You that's your that's your duty as a member of a church to do so. But more than just like trying to call out the pastors and the leadership, I really hope churches would do. You know, it doesn't mean that every like what Tom said. Not every member needs to be a friend but every member can contribute to a culture of allowing the pastors to form friendships, to have genuine groups of community um, and, and to give space for that too. Because I think if not, it's just a bomb waiting to go off. There's just too much pressure on that person to, to not go off. If that makes sense. You feel like it's worse than Asian churches. It's Way worse, man. Like even, cause, even our generation. Yeah. I, I it, you know, as much as I thought we were it, parenting taught me this, like, I am my mom and dad. Like I see the same kind of traits with how I parent my kids right now. And I think for a lot of us growing up in the first generation Korean, Japanese or Chinese church, the pastor had all the cars in his hands and he could do whatever he wanted. Right. And I think a lot of us take that implicitly to our churches today that we just, you know, give them the benefit of the doubt or we let them get away with things that we know that they shouldn't be getting away with. And we don't know what to do. And, and I think our system is so top down that not only does it cultivate these scandals and these problems, but like what Jason mentioned, there's no system to, to reverse it or to, to stop it before it happens.
1: That's like that Paul Tripp book, uh, Lead. Did you finish that, Jason? No, I'm, I'm, it's so oh, okay. good. So, so like, there's like this yeah. chapter where he's saying how uh, your church, they only care about your pastor's gifts. And They think so long as your gifting is good, mm. that's that's all that matters, and it, you know obviously oh, that man. doesn't sound right. Like no, of course we don't. But it's like yeah, you do because so long as they're doing well, you never question how they're doing. You know, so long as they're preaching faithfully and they preach good sermons, so long as they're there, present, they're functional, you think they're thriving, and you're good with them, mm. with them whatever is happening. Even though deep down there's there's a lot of brokenness that's there, and what pretty much we're looking at is the gifts, and you think it's fine, uh, and so that just shows how much more gift-oriented we are towards our pastors and what we expect from them yeah. rather than character-oriented or seeing the fact that how are they relationally
0: with people.
2: Hmm.
0: Very true. I think the reverse is true, too, that if they only do bad, that's when you react of, like, oh, now he's a bad pastor because hmm. he did a bad sermon, a bad leadership mistake. Pretty much, like, you guys, you got to humanize them. Yeah, like they're just people. We're people with, like, we have – I mean, it's very cliche, but – we're as flawed as a church. Like there's no difference really in, in our character. Like everyone sins. it's, that's a part of humanity. And I wish people would understand that more. Um, but yeah, so I guess to end on a a positive note, or I try to every episode is, uh, (laughs) what's been the most, um, surprising blessing as a pastor for you guys, um, You know, because there's obvious, like, you know, when you preach or when you counsel, but what's one surprise blessing you've had? Um, You know, especially for you guys, because you guys turned into leads um, within uh, a little over a year now.
1: I always say pastoring is like marriage. The highs are, the lows are way lower than what you thought it would be, but the highs are way higher than you imagined. And Mm -hmm. I think that's true of pastoring. Like, the lows are like, wow, I did not expect to feel that when I gave a bad sermon. I do not feel expect to feel that when people criticize the church. But the highs are pretty crazy and it's super encouraging. Like You see things that people don't see or you hear about things that people don't hear about because you're like planning things and you see from the plans God answering prayers in the midst of that planning or people sharing burdens with you and you are privileged to hear these burdens and walk with them and journey with them and to see them actually do well at the end of that journey. Like Who else has the privilege of seeing that. And so to me, I feel like we have like access to people's lives because they're sharing it with us. And when we're journeying with them by faith, I think that's been really cool that I did not, ex- I didn't know how rewarding that would be to journey with people in those highs that they go through and the blessings that God has brought them through. So to me, that's kind of how I see it. The highs are far higher than I imagined.
0: Yeah, I think to, to, go off of what Tom said. I think the biggest blessing I've had is not like when I preached a good sermon or when I accomplished a great project at our church, but like when people, whether it's explicitly through something I did or implicitly through the church, like mention, man, I've grown so much closer to God or I've, I feel more connected to him because of true North, uh, my church. And you know, I I thought, like, yeah, that's just part of the job and what we do. But I, there's such a big blessing to know that, like, the work that we are hopefully trying to do is, like, somehow through the Spirit's power able to connect people to God more. Because, like, to me, I'm like, I don't know. I, I'm not an emotional guy. But when people mention that, especially in COVID, when I thought, like, me and Jerry just scrambling at True North to get anything done— And some people are like, oh, this is, you know, a lot of people are suffering, but a lot of people are always saying, oh, we actually feel connected from what you're doing. it's just like, oh, yeah, one, I have no idea what I'm doing. I think it's all God. But two, like, oh, even God can use our broken efforts during a pandemic to connect people to him is, was a surprise blessing to me, at least. So, yeah. Jason?
2: Yeah, I mean, I totally agree that the highs are higher and the lows are lower, Um I think, I think for me, like, you know, I was always told that, I mean, I already knew going in, they said that this road was going to be lonely. Um, And I would say probably for me, I don't know about you guys, but like, if I were to like, say what the loneliest moment every week is, it's probably like right after I finish preaching or, you know, or, or maybe, maybe not right after, but like when I go home that night. You know, because there's this moment of, like, so a lot of self-doubt and insecurity where you wonder, like, did anything I say today connect with anyone? Did it make a difference? You know, you know, you think about all the ways you could have been better. Um, yeah, you get into your own head, have, like, an existential crisis. Um, and... And for me, it's actually seeing like e- either getting emails or seeing tangibly people like either responding, um, you know, or or just telling you straight up that, you know, what what's been happening at the church has or, or what's what's being preached or, you know, what they're learning and that it's actually making a difference in their lives. Like it's actually it's actually changing the way they interact with their spouse or their coworkers, that it's actually making a difference in their perspective. Like those are the moments you're like, man, this is amazing. You know, this is, um, it really, God is really using things that you think that he couldn't use and he's really making an impact on people's lives. And so, yeah, like for me, like even with the live stream, like I'm with you, Eugene, I expected by this point to like look at the number of eyeballs on our live stream slowly dwindled down to like (laughs) three, two, one, you know, until it was just like me, you know, me and my wife (laughs) watching, you know, but even to just see the eyeballs every week, people showing up amidst COVID, um, and, and, and still, you know, making an effort to invest in the community. That's been so encouraging. Um, yeah
0: yeah so moral of the story if you're listening just message your pastor and tell them uh, I hope you get friends hey so if anyone's you know. wondering
1: if we have friends we are friends that's podcast, just,
0: so. that's why we're doing <laughs> we this are part. friends that's why we're doing this that's the we're only friends. reason because no one's listening no I'm just kidding but <laughs> yeah if, if you're listening I hope you can just yeah just cultivate a healthy friendship culture for your pastors and just encourage them because it's it's a hard life out here um for pastors right now so yeah thanks uh thanks for listening shout out to uh shout out to kelly jr thank you for joining the warriors i hope you come out to true north one time uh if you're listening but um but yeah thanks for listening if you like comment share subscribe that'd be awesome for episodes and we hope to see you uh next episode